Hello, welcome to another episode of Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones and if this is your first time listening, hello. Uh, And you can go back, you can hear from all sorts of people that I've talked to over the last uh, couple of months. We've got authors, bloggers, TV presenters, comedians, they're all there waiting for you. So this week my guest is screenwriter Katie Baxendale. Now Katie's written loads of things that you've seen on TV like Sugar Rush, EastEnders, At Home with the Braithwaite and Fat Friends as well. So we sat down after the school run. I seem to know a lot of parents at my kids' school who were insanely talented. So yeah, we did that. We've done that before, haven't we? Uh, Sat down in her kitchen and uh, you might hear a bit of banging, which is entirely my fault uh, because when Katie got quite animated, uh, she kept hitting the table, which reversed around the microphone. Anyway, we sorted that out. And also her dog towards the end wanted to go for a walk. So uh, that's why the dog's barking. But apart from that, (laughs) no more interruptions. Uh, Hopefully you, wherever you are, will enjoy listening to Katie uh, talking about her brilliant job. Katie, it's lovely to to be sitting in your kitchen. And um, the last time I sat in a school mum's kitchen, she showed me her BAFTA. And I wondered whether... Have you got an Emmy kicking around? I've got an international Emmy. Oh, right. And I've got a BAFTA nomination, but not not the actual awards here. So it was for the show. So the international Emmy, then. Yeah. So is that shared between you all, then? So, yeah, it was it was for Sugar Rush. So um, uh, Shine Studio, or Shine Productions, have the actual Emmy. But I've got, the, uh, I've got a little medal. I've got a nice certificate. Is it a little bit weird, though, that, you know, when you really wanted to do something like what you're doing now, and, and that, looking back, that sort of the journey of getting that Emmy, do you, can you believe that you, you were there, you got it? And, uh, so I think there is so much, so much of it is chance you can't you almost can't predict which projects are gonna move forward like that and you you know writing for tv is extremely collaborative um with your producers and your directors and then that you know the editor has enormous creative input and um and every now again you feel like you're on something that has its own momentum and then when you see the product at the end you feel like that sits in a place that it's its own place. So the only thing I'd say about when Sugarish went, it felt like its own thing and it got its own momentum. So um, it felt right when it got picked up. It wasn't people. luck though. But there's luck? luck in terms of how everybody comes together on it and how it rolls along. Because, you know, there are different stages of life. Um, a minute ago, before the start of recording, we were talking about children. We, <laughs> you know, I've got a, um, a 14-year-old girl and 11-year-old son and, you know, it's been really busy with them for the past few years and there are there might have been projects in there that that could have gone but you couldn't push at the right time you know so it's all about the right timing it's all about timing as well yeah. and um uh yeah but it's lovely when it really works it's lovely and, and working with um with julie birchall on that so julie birchall is um probably one of two true geniuses I think I've met in my life. Who's the other one? Um, um, so the other one is a guy called Nikolai Meishhausen, who's a statistician who we're very good friends with, but he is... Um, he's the A different biggest, type of, yeah, of, of yeah. genius. Okay. And, um, but yeah, Julie Birch was... Um, it, when you first met her, it was like meeting Queenie from Blackadder. Um, <laughs> I was so scared of her, and she's so brilliantly eccentric, and, um, and she's kind of a shapeshifter in any... Anytime you think you know what her point of view will be, it jumps somewhere completely different. But she was extraordinarily generous with Sugarish. So, um, so uh, we kind of initially, when you work on a an adaptation, you you generally kind of 
move quite unless the writer is going to be involved with writing you kind of have a bit of quiet time away from the originator and then uh, we sent her the scripts and um I remember opening an email from Judy Birchall where she started off by listing every single thing I changed which was you know we changed a lot because it, we were serializing a, a short kids book and she there was this enormous list going down 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 the page just Scrolls. listing everything I changed and I was getting so scared and at the bottom she said change what you bloody well want I effing love it <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so she was incredibly generous and then the other thing she kept doing was sending us through mixtapes for the uh, soundtrack so she so, was really into the sort of whole sound of the whole yeah thing she well. was really into the sound of thing and then and then she was just wonderful and my gosh you know so brilliant for publicizing a show as well so um actually she she was incredibly generous and let us go on with it yeah that's great so the, the good news at the bottom of the email was yes yeah. <laughs> but it was you so, in a hot sweat I was sweating um <laughs> But um, yeah, really brilliant. <laughs> so what I want to know is how do you get from, because we talked just actually before we started the podcast, so you, you're at school yes. and then off to uni. Yes. How do you get from that to working on something uh, as so, massive um, as that? Incredibly circuitous. I think as a kid, I always wrote stories, but didn't realise that's what I was doing. And then took three <laughs> science A-levels and hey? uh, oh. three science A-levels because I thought I wanted to be a vet. And, um, and then realised I didn't want to live my life with my hand up cow's ass and um, <laughs> then went to Cambridge to do social political sciences and when I was there I got involved with drama and um, I went from acting to directing but what I didn't realise were lots of the shows I directed I adapted and um, so I was writing without realising I was writing because I then directed the show and um, and then after Cambridge was stony broke and um <laughs> Uh, got a job in telesales. I remember mum and dad going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I phoned up and got a job over the phone. <laughs> and my telesales job got me sent out to Malaysia, weirdly, all oh. on my own. And, um, what a great so job. So I was setting up this office in Malaysia on my own and uh, started, you know, really missed the drama. So I started writing and just to entertain myself, really. And then I sent that off to an agent um, called Tim Corrie, who, when I came back to England, invited me in to see him. And I was so excited about going to see him. And I went to see him and he said, um, well, you know, it's interesting stuff. Um, come back in a year's time, but don't give up the day job. So I instantly gave up my job. <laughs> and, um, I instantly gave up my job. And fortunately, you know, had a bit of money in the bank from my ridiculous telesales job. And uh, could do, and you know, this is one of the real problems of the arts, and you see it more and more. I could basically do some work for free for a while, and it, you know, we were just talking about state schools and private schools, and and um, if I hadn't had that money in the bank and a supportive family, it would have been so hard to do this. So, um, so I started writing script reports and I did them for free, first of all, and then started getting paid bit by bit. So it was having that, in a way, safety net of a yes, little bit of money, yes, a little, a little bit, of bit of money. I'd worked in this ridiculous industry and then and had this little bit of money. And, you know, at the time my sister had started acting. So my sister's Helen Baxendale, who's an actress. I think we've heard actress. of her, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we, we, I was very, you know, I just emerged from university before we had 
you know, phones all the internet when we were at university and suddenly emerged into Helen being quite famous. And um, she could lend you a few quid because at that stage, was she in Friends or she not? Could, quite? But I was, no, she wasn't in Friends then. She was in Cardiac Arrest. Okay. <laughs> but I was very aware of Helen being Helen and very determined to keep it very separate from her. So um, despite her being a really brilliant sister, I just wanted to prove I could do it on my own. <laughs> and um, so I uh, started doing these script ports and eventually got a job at Single Drama in the BBC reading single drama scripts. And um, that was a wonderful thing to do because, and actually now you've got the internet, if you're starting out writing, there are a lot of brilliant resources on there, but you need to read lots of scripts. And actually reading bad scripts is also brilliant because you can work out what what doesn't work Mm. and from doing that it became clear to me that I was always trying to fix the scripts in a way that I would write them as well I I, everyone else was going on to become script developers and producers and it it seemed clear to me that I wanted to write um and then I wrote secretly I was doing a script report on a book The Riddle of the Sands by Erskine Children and uh I had this um book that I was meant to be writing a script report on and how they could adapt it and instead I started coming into work at five in the morning and secretly adapting it myself <laughs> and so there's determination oh no but this poor producer you know when he said where's that where is the script report on this one <laughs> about six weeks later that it should have got there and I handed him this enormous script instead and um and he was very lovely about it. It didn't get made, but it got me. I sent it back to Tim Corrie, the that, agent. Who said, get, the, get a proper job. He said, get a proper job. <laughs> I sent it back to him, and he wasn't taking on new clients at the time, but another agent was, which was um, uh, St. John Donald. Uh, it was PFD at the time, but they've now set up United Agents. And he's a brilliant agent, and then it all started going from there. Because that's really tricky, I think, for people trying to get into it, is getting an agent. So, so getting an agent, you just have to be prepared to be turned down so many times. And the first thing to say about that is, um, you know, don't go in blind. Don't be scared to phone the agents up and say who's looking to take on new writers. That's the first thing. And now I think the world has changed since I started writing. And that I think you need to show... Uh, a little more um, willing now. I think you need so basically you're a nice lifestyle. You need an, at least an hour's drama, an hour's written drama, <clears throat> maybe a few pitches and ideas. But now I think if you are looking to write for TV, the best thing is to find somebody who wants to direct for TV and start making your own scripted material and um, putting it up on Vimeo, putting it up on different platforms. Just getting it out there. Getting it out there. And then showing the agents. The other places that, I mean, there's a wonderful overlap at the moment between theatre and television, which wasn't happening at the time when I started writing. Places like the Soho Theatre, anywhere looking at new writing, regional theatres. These are all excellent ways into TV writing now, which is really, it's Mm. really lovely. And it also means, you know, platforms are expanding different types of shows are being made it's actually really exciting for the kind of show you'll end up watching as well now so um it's a good time it's a dizzy time but it's a good time (laughs) to be writing and and you um got into tv writing because you started Mm. you did a bit of stuff on eastenders is that right so yeah i started out actually on um this is another thing that has changed and it's it's harder if you're going down the more conventional route when i started writing there were a lot of um very small shows half hour shows where you could kind of you know try try test your craft and um so i wrote for a really uh brilliantly useful but hilarious soap opera <laughs> called london bridge which was a regional I'm trying soap to opera. remember it 
I was only shown in the southeast of England. Oh, okay. And um, actually, the guy who wrote East is East was in it. And uh, there were some amazing people who came through it. Actually, he went high up in the BBC. And But at the time, the amazing thing as a scriptwriter was it was a two-week turnaround from starting... Uh, working out what was going to be in your episode to delivering a script and then it was filmed so you very quickly learned what did and didn't work <laughs> and um I guess I mean there are I guess doctors I mean it's not a two-week turnaround but it's doctors is a good place for people to cut their teeth yeah. um uh then there are the long-running soaps I mean but they they are so well developed now you I mean you've got to work very hard to get a job in one of those we get brilliant writers coming through them because they get so much screen time and they they really understand their craft um, and how does it work do you write one episode or do you collaborate so you go in so it, I mean we're this is interesting as well because it's all slightly changing at the moment as we kind of take on little bits of the American system but basically on a on a long-running show like EastEnders um, which I went on to work for afterwards or on something like London Bridge or, you know, Emmerdale or Doctors, then there is a, um, there's a story editor and a storyliner who's there overseeing everything that's happening in the show forever. <laughs> and they will have a, um, a core team of writers who help develop those storylines over a, maybe a six-month cycle. And, you know, all this stuff is top secret if it's EastEnders. And, um, uh, if you, know, you mention anything, news. yeah, yeah. You you're will carrying die. around state secrets. <laughs> um, and then you'll get, they bring writers on and then they kind of portion out episodes. And then you flesh out that basic explanation of what's going to happen into a beat by beat document. And then you go ahead and write. But, um, you know, obviously you can't go too off script in something like that. Well, and you're also, trying to get a bit of your own flair. Yeah, but, um, but there's characters that we all know so well. Yes. And if you start, I don't know, yes. writing about Phil Mitchell yes. and his totally different side to himself. So in my EastEnders episode, I think I had Doc Cotton drink a um, bottle of tequila, or had ate the tequila worm in the tequila bottle and started <laughs> hoovering madly in it. And I realised I'm not a natural EastEnders writer. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed writing for them and it's a really impressive setup these things the long running shows my gosh the commitment and love of character and ability to filter through society into a show that so many people watch you know it, in, as the world becomes more diverse in the way it watches television it's I think it's really good to have a few things that are still kind of community pieces yes. um, national shows because they do allow conversations to happen and keep people together in some way so you know these big shows are really important and they they gosh they turn out some amazing writers so you know Coronation Street Paul Abbott and then you've got Kay Meller Sally Wainwright all these people came came through these big Mm. big soaps and um and uh, they are writers you know who you can reckon with they're amazing <laughs> just <laughs> like yourself and after EastEnders because you, you worked on At Home with the Braithwaites was that, was so, that at home with the Braith- so before At Home with the Braithwaites I did um, quite a bit of Kay Mellor's Playing the Field and some of Fat Friends and um, yeah there was a period where it was all kind of going to be Northern Women's drama for a while <laughs> but um, and when these shows were brilliant to work on so it's Tiger Aspect okay um, and when you worked on Fat Friends that was with James Corden and yes, Jones, yes. So who've now gone on to write oh, themselves oh do you know what they are 
you know, sometimes you see brilliant people really getting the boats they deserve who are lovely people. It's James Corden, Ruth Jones, Collie Coleman. I was at university with Collie Coleman and I, I look at Olivia Coleman and what she's doing now and just think, sometimes, you know, fortune lands on people who really deserve it and she deserves everything she gets. They were glorious people to write for before they were massive and they are, yeah, they're and, brilliantly talented. And because they, they write as well, did they ever sort of say... So James Corden was brilliant. So I wrote an episode for James Corden where his character, it kind of developed a bit of the idea of the, you know, because Fat Friends was quite a warm, quite gentle show. And and we did a little bit where we kind of developed the idea of his, you know, sexuality and and his kind of personal life. And and, um, it was really lovely because, you know, I hadn't had that much interaction with James before, but he wrote me this gorgeous letter afterwards about the script and um and so I think they were really respectful of other people writing but then still took the time to get back in touch with the writer if they felt like they'd done a good job which is that's so really nice thing to do nobody has to do stuff like that and um, it's often you sort of almost get a little bit forgotten yeah and you're writing on the second or third um series in these shows so if you're you know so for example um uh, at home with the Braithwaite's. I mean, Sally Wainwright is extraordinary in every way. And um, it, in a way, it was such a lucky break for me, but such a sad break for her. Because at the time when I wrote on At Home with the Braithwaite, she wrote every episode of everything she wrote back then. And I was doing, I think I was doing the final, I think it was the final two episodes of the final series. But she'd got pneumonia. Oh. She worked so hard. And... Um, she got pneumonia and they brought in another writer. And that must be hard, coming into something that's already very oh, established. Oh, my gosh. But, um, but you know, so they had an amazing producer, Carolyn Reynolds, and um, amazing script editor at the time. And, um, and then it's such, you know, you watch those shows and you fall in love with the characters so much that it was just, it was an absolute pleasure to work on. But I always feel awful that it, it might not of, have been awful. Yes. It might not have been good for her because she would have wanted she would have wanted to finish her show and um but what a joy to write for those characters mm. really lovely it's amazing isn't it when when you see something that comes how does that work something pops into your inbox and says ah uh, katie would you like to work on this how so the nicest thing i mean you you fight so hard to get an agent initially but then once you get going work generates work and um so there'll be somebody you've worked with the last time who'll have suggested you and put a name forward and you get on i think I think this changes now with the multi-platform thing, but originally as well, you you kind of would hear that your name might be on a list that the BBC would hand out as potential writers when when independent companies were coming in. So I think I was lucky that my name was on a list. I suspect it um, kind of has fallen on and off the list several times through my (laughs) child rearing. (laughs) But um, She's out of action for a bit. Yeah, but... um, yeah, I think people would remember working with you. And, um, you know, like in anything, there are certain people who you collaborate with really well. And um, it is collaborative. Writing TV is really collaborative. Mm-hmm. And um, if you get on with people, it's wonderful and a lot of fun. So um, and when you write um, comedy, because you're interesting in that you don't just go with comedy or you don't just go with drama. And then you've gone into so many different genres. Are you a bit like... So I think my natural uh, kind of areas would be um not comedy drama but drama comedy <laughs> so so um dramedy but um I can't help but put humor 
in anything I write, but I'm not an out-and-out gag merchant. And um, actually, the company I'm working with at the moment, they are a comedy company, and I'm writing a piece of drama with them. But, um, you know, I get notes about funnying it up, and I'm thinking, that was funny, but it's not sharp enough for them. They are super comedians. And, um, but uh, So it's interesting seeing where you tonally you fall. Um, I did a thriller um, a few years ago, it didn't do particularly well, but... Um, <laughs> but you enjoyed working on it? I really enjoyed working on it. And actually, I mean, there were lots of reasons, I think, it, it didn't quite work out in the end. But um, so, was, first was of all, this, I um, would never have considered writing a thriller before I was asked to uh, go on this. It was... Uh, was this in Darkness? From Darkness, From yeah. Darkness, sorry. Yes. So there was basically there, the BBC had got a group of female writers together to say, we want to send you on a weekend where you go and talk about writing thrillers because we need more female voices in the thriller world. Loads of women write um, uh, novels that are thrillers, but very few people, women, are writing crime drama. And from that, they got the commissioners down at the end of the weekend and we all pitched and this one got chosen. And then I worked with um, Drama North on it with brilliant producers. Yeah, really brilliant producers. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I was actually really proud of the scripts and and then the production team that got put around it but um uh I was then I then was in New Zealand for a year when it was being filmed and I think I should have been on set more I wanted to ask you about that so does the writer somebody who doesn't have a clue do you generally <laughs> tend to be on set so on set's really funny at first because you just trip over words and you feel so in the way and you know it's you have to get your you know really kind of get your balls to be on set and think I do deserve to be here and actually it's something again with the American model that's changing more writers now go in there saying they're going to be an executive producer which is the nearest thing we have to showrunner here right. um and on future projects, I'd really like to get involved more. Um, there are a few things on From Dogs. You know, the whole point of that show was um, to have a, um, a think about the use of violence against women on screen and that it was very clear in the script over and over again in capital letters that you would not see the body of any victim, only the effect seeing the body had on you. And the first shot... <laughs> where there's a death there's the body of the girl and um, and it's because everybody loses their nerves with things like that because Uh. there's a trope about how you show you know what fear is and what a crime drama is and I think now people would be braver with it but there's just this fear that it's not going to work and you fall into these ruts well yeah because it could, particularly when you then see it and you think it's not quite yeah. right and that must be particularly with something like that so you work really hard on it you're really yes. excited and then it's not quite that, that well, I took difficult. myself too out of it I, I was too away from it mm. once it went into production and you know it had been my baby I should have been there and um and they did a good job without the person who <laughs> you know, bore it being there. <laughs> I should have been there. But you learn, don't you? I you suppose. do you do learn. And and it's still been I mean, it's done me the world of good in that, you know, the scripts went out to BBC America and people phone you up on the basement. So it's all, you know, I'm really, good. really delighted with it. There were some amazing performances in it. But there was something yeah, the the kind of heart of it had been didn't get didn't get onto the screen in the end. 
So and and and, and when you we talked about comedy as well. So you've got to surely you've got to be in a sort of mode to think right. I'm thinking grisly crime, yes. and then I'm in a mode for comedy, and I'm Do not feeling what? very. Writing funny a thriller today. probably depressed me for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I find these things so grim to look at, and uh, and they really affect you. I mean, I don't know how the people who write them all the time. There must be a disconnect or a way of hmm. looking at society that's different. But I think um, I think they're really tough, really, really tough. And that's why Killing Eve felt like something different. Because, I mean, the joy was in allowing women to be violent. And hmm. I think there were all sorts of brilliant explanations you could have for that show that were nothing to do with the violence that was actually happening on screen. And, you know, so so much fun. It's a different way of doing it. So writing that, you said, made you a bit depressed. When you write comedy, do you, do you suddenly thinking, oh, I'm feeling really brilliant now? Or do you, you have to get in that sort of funny mood as well? Because some mornings you might not feel like writing a, a funny line or two. I think everybody finds themselves humorous. So when you're, when you're <laughs> writing something, if you take yourself a bit too seriously, it's the easiest thing way to solve that is to take the mickey out of yourself. It's where you find the humour in a, in a script. And, and you know, you, we all go through life finding everything about ourselves ridiculous so characters should do that Mm. all my comedy seems to come from quite a warm it's about warmth of life and I think that's thanks to my lovely parents and upbringing really great funny childhood and um, (laughs) and so you know family life is funny relationships (laughs) are funny and um and so you know I'm not a great cracker of brilliant jokes but I I do enjoy seeing what's funny in everyday everyday life and, and when you said you left uni and your mum said get a job and yes. she's I've got on telesales I'm, I'm off to Malaysia <laughs> yes. so now what what do your parents think about um, and your family oh I've just got lovely parents they they always can't believe basically she's on the telly she, what was so funny about my sister when my I, I know I got a shot coming out of university and seeing Helen's famous but the truth is Helen had always felt famous to me ever since she was little because she was she was an amazing ballet dancer gymnast there's always something amazing about <laughs> Helen. And, um, but if you ask my mum and dad, they would think there was always something completely amazing about both of us. And they, they would think it wasn't a surprise. I'd gone into writing at all because I locked myself in this room off my bedroom that I called the library. And I had the, <laughs> I'd made a big mural on the back wall and um, a fold-down desk with the pen is mightier than the sword written <laughs> on this desk. And, and I wrote little stories all the time. But I was really surprised that's where... I hadn't noticed that's what I was doing. Isn't it but funny? they were so brilliantly supportive. You know, Mum was a home economics teacher in one of the roughest schools in Warsaw and yeah, and um childcare teacher to lots of girls who were already pregnant at school. But her her school got shut down at the end. And Dad was an LEA schools inspector and, and they um they were just brilliant in not you know, this is one of the things I was talking about the arts and how lots of people get there not because they're not really good but also because they're backed and they're funded by people because it's very hard to get on in the arts and um and mum and dad from a very normal background never said we don't think you should do that Mm. and um or that that's unrealistic to us instead they backed you yeah we're just endlessly proud of us i mean the only the only thing when you said the name of your your podcast you know um it really made me think that that you know initially I think I got on through pure naivety so mum and dad thought anything you could you could have taken the worst picture in the world they just said that was brilliant (laughs) and um so you kind of had this insane confidence 
that worked until your kind of mid twenties. <laughs> and you kind of had these, you know, suddenly things worked for you and you did them and it was all great. And then you get into that position of supposedly being a professional in that world and then you get a kind of dizzying oh my God, what am I doing here? You know, I mean, my parents have yes, yes, everybody else has studied English at university and, uh, you know, that people are so erudite and, or they come from backgrounds of extreme theatrical knowledge. And, and I've been in telesales. Yeah, I've been in telesales in Malaysia. <laughs> and, um, but actually, uh, I think a bit of naivety and self-belief helps you get over a lot of barriers that would crush people mm, mm, if not mm. and um i was reading a brilliant well i listened to a podcast by elizabeth gilbert the eat pray love woman on creativity and um i had to buy the book that it was based on afterwards because it, it's this extraordinarily generous view of creativity and how everybody is innately creative and not to be told that your voice isn't worth something and i really think people need to go into state schools and make people so sure of this and get their voice heard because um there are so many brilliant ideas out there and it is more democratic now the internet has made it more democratic you can get your voice heard and and you talk about confidence and self-belief and a bit of naivety but because when you have to pitch stuff do you do do that or does your agent do that because you've got to have a belief in something so pitching is really interesting and it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of uh the job and it's an I keep saying it's an interesting time because there is an enormous change with the digital world at the moment. So previously you had four, five channels and then Sky came along six channels <laughs> who were commissioning your work and, and you had these commissioners who every six months played musical chairs with their jobs, which kind of slowed the development slate down. And um, you'd have production companies who would say, oh, we'd like to do something in this area or have you got any ideas? And then they would take you on and you'd go and pitch to the commissioners. And then there was this big waiting game because each commissioner was um, had a development slate, but also a kind of channel identity. And so you had to fit within several remits. Now the online providers have come along and um, the way you sell to them is different in that every idea has to be packaged. So you have a script, um, a full, fully written script, or you have a really excellent pitch um, with a director, a writer, and hopefully a name attached as well. So there's this kind of mm. packaging going on, which is a, a really a new way of working, much more American. But what comes with that is extraordinary creative freedom. So once they say, um, yes, we want to develop this, then they really stand back because they don't have a channel identity. What Netflix wants to offer is everything. And it will be the same with Amazon. It'll be the same with Disney are about to go. Apple have just gone. Mm. I mean, even Facebook were doing it. Being Facebook, they wanted it all for free. They just wanted people to provide their content for free. But um, anyway, uh, so you've got all these new ways of providing, uh, of generating the shows. And um, it means that, you know, really basic things before when you're writing... BBC dramas there's a BBC slot you know how many pages make up a BBC hour compared to how many pages make up an ITV hour ah, okay. Netflix don't give a hoot how long the episodes are but, so, so that's very freeing isn't it it's really freeing and even within a series I mean they like it to have a kind of similar length but if it's 10 minutes short 10 minutes longer or if there's a two hour special this can all go on there you know there's there's no limitations so 
in a way, it will it will really change the types of dramas mm. being written as well. Is it quite uh, frustrating in a way, though, when you've got something that you've been developing for ages and oh. you've been working really hard? It's and then awful. They, then they say... It's no. awful. They're the kind of lonely years in development. <laughs> Do and they don't pay anybody. Then? Oh, and you, you get paid. You don't feel too sorry for the world <laughs> rises. You, um, so you get paid for each stage. Once, I mean, it depends. There are, I mean, again, that's changed from the digital world, but... I mean, there's set, set ways. You go and pitch an idea and somebody says, we'll pay you to write a treatment for that. So treatment's where you expand your idea. And if you like that, if they like that, they take it into the channel and they'll say, you know, hopefully go and write a script. So they'll pay you for a script. Um, and then you'll see if it goes into development or gets greenlit and you get paid for each stage and then you get paid again when it goes on TV. So once something's broadcast, it's kind of bonanza day. Right? <laughs> um, but um, but the years in development, there is so, I don't know a writer out there without so many shows sat on the shelf that have ever been made. The worst stories I've heard are when people have had a show filmed, Ooh. fully filmed, Ooh. and it still doesn't go out. And that's that's horrendous. Can you sort of then say, well, I can try it with somebody else? Or? I mean, you can say so they have they have a buyout clause for a, for a set period, and you can argue to have a something taken back, or you could pay to have it taken back and try it elsewhere, um, and put it into turnaround as quickly as possible. Um, but you know, I've got I've got you know hours of drama sat upstairs in my office. <laughs> you, should, you should open your own channel. Well, it is funny because you, this is the this is the shift that's happening at the moment is that you know before I would have just said they're all done for <laughs> whereas now that's really not the case and actually it's um it's a change in writer's mentality as well to become more like a showrunner and start pushing and promoting your ideas if somebody's not um promoting or pushing it well enough for you you should push to become an executive producer and and move it forward yourself and um it's a bit of a learning curve for the English writer I think <laughs> but is it something that you're interested in then sort of yeah I really I mean I'd like to be a realist about it but yes I am tentatively interested in becoming more proactive how does that sound yes good <laughs> I like that I was thinking when you've been used to working in a, in a certain way for a long time yeah and then you're like oh okay well you realize how long you've been sat on your laurels I mean that I heard um a couple of years ago, there was an awful gridlock where the commissioners shifted in in UK drama, and all the writers were getting really pissed off at it. And um, and I met this a few brilliant TV writers in Oxford, and um, I met one of them, and and he'd just gone off and um, and written his own show, and he'd done it because there was another TV writer who'd done the same. She'd written six episodes all on her own, so. You know, you needed to have earned some money before you could do this because it takes a long time to write six episodes of a drama. And then she had gone and sold it. That's the rescue dog upstairs, sorry. She, You're not being burgled, are you? We're just no, sitting no, having a chat. Tried to tell me it's time for a walk soon. Um, she, um, she took it over to a German company. He made it as a German show and um, it was super cool and then got picked up by the people who'd refused it beforehand. So there are lots of ways now to be yeah. more proactive. And actually, I think it's a good reminder that despite this tricky commissioning process what people really want is kind of auteur pieces and nothing is going to make you be an auteur more than thinking I'm just doing this for myself I'm taking complete control of it yeah and um you know when you write a pitch or a treatment you've got between two and a treatment 12 pages to really convince somebody of the character's storyline's tone it's really hard it's really hard to convey whereas when you sit there with a 
you know, sit down and read six Polish scripts. It's really hard not to get sucked in by them if they're well written. So, um, so it's all changed. It's all exciting in a way. It's really exciting, but and it and it's but challenging at the same time. I mean, one of the hardest things is to go to meetings and they'll say, "Have you watched this?" And oh my god, there's so much TV to watch now. <laughs> it takes time. It takes Have time. A panic attack. If you were going to be on top of all the TV out there to understand what needs to be written you wouldn't have any time to write it so um <laughs> and also if you were also trying to do this whole thing of like trying to pitch stuff yourself and, and yeah you, when would you write when would you write no. and actually treatments and the pitches are the thing that drive me I'd rather get into a room and um, explain a show to someone than condense it down to two pages because it's such it, it's the uh, poorest paid bit of the job <laughs> and the hardest thing to do mm. and I mean uh, <laughs> You need to be really, really good at the sell. But often you feel like you're not being true to the project in the way you're selling it. And um, so, I, yeah, I really hate writing pictures and films, yeah. but they're, they're mind-boggling. But when you're not doing that, what is next? What's in the pipeline then? Or is it all top secret and you'll have to kill me? No, I've got... Well, I'm really <laughs> hoping I've got a, a show that's um, developed with this brilliant comedy company, Rough Cut, and... Um, but it's a drama and it's gone into development with the BBC and um, it's based on a blog and a book by a brilliant woman called Claire Pooley um, and it's called The Sober Diaries and it's about a woman, a a middle-class mum who realises she's got basically a a hidden problem with alcohol and decides to go sober and discovers it's much easier to be a functioning alcoholic than somebody who's sober in middle-class society. (laughs) But nobody (laughs) likes, well, no one knows what to do with someone who's turned their back on the nation's favourite drug. I think this this is going to ring true with a lot of people. It's going to ring true with a lot of people. It's it's really lovely because um, for me, the other thing I love writing about at the moment is... um, you know, really on the back of the Me Too movement, actually. Um, But in a different way, just this kind of looking at what makes a modern woman, um, and particularly women of my age, you know, kind of mid-40s, late-40s, and realising, you know, you see these young girls at the moment, I'm so impressed by the youth at the moment, and realising how many compromises we've made and how many things we've let ride. Mm, mm. And, um, And with... Claire's book, it's, it's amazing because you discover the identity of a modern woman framed through alcohol and our relationship with alcohol. And, um, you know, ladder culture, Blossom Hill, all by ones opening their windows <laughs> up to the working woman, <laughs> sex in the city. And and then, yeah, it's re- it's been really, really good fun to write. So, you know, so first episode's in, all the storylines are in. It'd oh, be wow. a four-parter. And what we'd really like is for it to go out in dry January next year. <laughs> <laughs> perfect yes. what a great idea so that's that's and then so that's kind of done but you're still working so, on so it so I've got th- I, if it goes I'll have three more episodes right but they're all storylined which is lovely so first episode I'm really pleased with and um, so yeah we're waiting to hear more from the BBC at the moment but um, but it's it feels good. It feels great. Really oh, good. Swift. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you got to take the dog for a while. Yeah. That's the next big project that you've got. And, and so if we kind of look back at all those pivotal moments in what's been a fabulous career so far, but it's all kicking mm. off still. It's, it's, um, well, actually, I feel like I'm just getting going again. So children I did find had a little it bit really of, hard to yeah. children. And, um, you know, lots of people handle it a lot better than I did. And, um, I don't know about that. I it's, really love writing, but I really love being with my kids as well. And I think I probably made a, a bit of a hash of 
both in lots of ways. Well, you were trying to do... Somebody said to me, when you're working, like, part-time... Yeah. ...or doing the child you kind of don't do anything brilliantly you're sort of don't do anything brilliantly and you're kind of keeping your foot in and um but it's really funny I suddenly feel really ready to this last year actually everything is framed through your family my mum was really poorly last year and um and it was big you know you kind of look at what women do and working women do and you kind of think there is a time to show your daughter that you're off again doing it yourself mm, and for your own mm. enjoyment and to and to use your brain mm, and mm. um and so last year really felt like time to throw myself back into it and it, it's in a way it's scary I keep talking about how much it's changing but in a way it's completely invigorating it, it feels like a fantastic time to be being creative mm. actually although I mean it's really competitive as well but if you think about that team it's you'll go mad you've just got to have a go and write about what you love and what you write about what you love oh I sat I sat by um Mackenzie Crook on a jewellery recently um and uh I thought you said jewellery jewellery like a like a not a jewellery not a um, not a trial um but on a it was a competition jury for for awards anyway I sat by him and uh I'm such a fan of the detectress and you know he's such a such a humble clever person and I'm you know when you sit by somebody like that you're just looking for gems of nuggets of wisdom that might come out when they're talking because he seems quite shy as well and and it was very clear when he talked about all the shows that for him it was so important for people to write about what they know about and for it to be relatable and true Mm. and um and I think that's probably absolutely right and even if you're writing a a character you're never actually going to meet to find what's deeply relatable in them for you um yeah that's probably all it comes down to yeah but yeah just just trust in um you are allowed to do it that's the simple thing with creating you have to just say to yourself you are allowed to do this and, and for you to have that um you said your parents were instrumental because they really supported you that's a that's a massive thing I mean I have spoken to people who said my parents said you can't do it so I decided I'm gonna do it anyway yeah, there is yeah. that, that element but for you their support but also just um it's got to be that telesales job sure that was a massive pivotal moment <laughs> for you it sounds was massive because it made me realize I never want to spend the rest of my, <laughs> <laughs> my I was selling space in magazines that didn't really exist was the best way to describe Dear. it and um well they did exist but I don't know if anyone ever read them and um you know it was really good it made me sniff out sales in any job and realize I'm whilst I like um explaining my ideas I don't think I'm a natural saleswoman mm. And, um, and it was almost going away. It was away. It was isolation. And actually, that might be part of the thing about it. It was another form of naivety. There was nobody to compare myself to. I sat in this weird hotel room. And, you know, you could sit and write what the bloody hell you wanted. <laughs> and then, you know, the scary side of TV, really, is when it's made and it goes out. Because you almost forget, when you're really enjoying a script, you can almost forget that you're going to have to share this with anyone. <laughs> And when you do, when it works, it's brilliant. When you don't, it's really, you know, it's really tough. But um, if you can't get over a failure, you can't really keep going at all. So you've got to learn to deal with that. And what some people don't like, somebody else might love. So you've got to remember Yeah, that, everything. In fact, the critics always make... I find reading um, reviews really interesting, I think. But you do it? 
I do read the reviews. And um, of course, I love them when they're good. But when they're bad, I notice. <laughs> no, I notice for other people's shows as well that there are... Everybody is affected by fashion. Everybody is affected by what's cool and groovy. And a show can be pretty dodgy but if it's been made by certain people or certain people in it will not be torn apart in the same way as somebody else's and um and I'm often you know I find that a bit depressing because there's lots of people who will have enjoyed Mm. some of the shows that get slated and there's lots of people who are watching these shows that are meant to be amazing and trying to say hang on a minute I'm not sure I'm not sure about those ones and there are others you know we have some extraordinary writers and Showmakers at the moment who are just breaking boundaries that are wonderful. Mm. Um, Sharon Horgan. Oh my God. <laughs> Is there anything that's been on recently that you wish you'd written? Oh, loads, 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 loads. I mean, Fleabag. Hello, Fleabag. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know anyone that doesn't like Fleabag. I don't actually. know anyone who yeah. doesn't like Fleabag. Just kind of every, you know, this, it slaps you in the face with freshness, doesn't it? And um, you're really brilliant. Um, you know, lots of Sandra O's character in. Killing Eve. All her interactions in MI, whatever it was, where she worked, and <laughs> all her friends. I, I sometimes found the there were bits of the uh, kind of assassin story that you began to go, you know, maybe it's gone too far now. I don't know. Maybe this is too crazy. But it was always grounded so brilliantly by Sandra's character, and you know, every line that came out of her was gorgeous. Yeah. There's something so mm, gorgeous mm, in it. Mm. So. Um, yeah, loads of shows. There are too many to list. But I also, the ones that you've done, which we've heard all about, and I suppose for you as well, it's it's doing something that you love, isn't it? Because it just shows that it's you've so, got so to do something. There you are want times where you kind of go, "Oh God, what am I doing? I'm spending so long writing things that don't get made, or might not get made, or might get made in a way that you're not quite sure of." And then every now and then you could look back and go, "Is this worthwhile in a world where there's a lot of things we should be sorting out?" And um, and weirdly for me, it will always come back to. Uh, Sugar Rush and the reactions that really mattered to me around Sugar Rush was with a lot of amazing young girls who got in touch or on on chat rooms about it and for me dramatically it held its own as a it had its own style and feel which was meant it had served its purpose as a drama it kind of sat in its own little space but also it it was really loved by the people who should have been watching it mm. and that was that was brilliant really so it's satisfying it's it? really satisfying and actually just have something like that is enough and the rest is fun <laughs> <laughs> but i'd love to do that again yeah we'll i would love to any. do that again that would be lovely <laughs> but actually you know what you really want is a show that you feel satisfied with mm. and um yeah, so to, the aim is to get that again. I'm hoping Sober Diaries does it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Because <laughs> January as well is like, you know, everyone's like, let's watch some telly because there's not much else yeah. to do. I mean, so. the thing that amazes when we're looking at developing it, just seeing how many shows are basically designed for people to sit down with with a kind of goblet full of wine. <laughs> and, um, and you watch the characters on screen doing exactly the same. They reach for the wine as kind yeah. of default show of being stressed or needing peace. And... And the whole idea of this is kind of, you know, like opening a few minutes to lure people in in the same way, then suddenly turn the camera around, basically. <laughs> go, hang on a minute. Everyone will be quickly going to the kitchen yes. sink and <laughs> chucking their wine down the sink. Oh, but, no. Um, it's really great fun. And lovely people to work with again. Fabulous. Well, listen, it's been really interesting hearing about all you've done so far. I, I know the dog is desperate for a <laughs> 
gone to sleep now. Oh, I should. I'll be bored her to sleep. Thank you, Katie, so much for talking oh, to me. Oh, it's lovely. Fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes if you can. It makes a huge difference. We're also on Spotify and Podbean as well. Tell your friends too. We're on Twitter at Where Go Right. Big thanks to Georgie for producing this week's episode. Uh, Megan is deep in the Amazonian rainforest somewhere, so we don't really know where she is. So we've pulled Georgie off the subs bench and she has done a brilliant job. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.